0: We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, something that both started before us and reaches beyond us. This summer, we look to the entire Bible to see God's mission in the world and how He calls His people to join Him in it. As we as a church look to beginning a new congregation, we turn towards the Scriptures to see how God moves us out on mission. Join us this summer for a missional conversation privilege and a great joy to be with you all. If you are a child or have a child that is three years to pre-k, you can, you don't have to, but you can dismiss them to Holy Cross kids. And because I'm new here, I don't know the way there, but just follow that crowd and I think you'll, you'll find it. As, uh, as Jason said, I am Joe Slater, and I'm a pastor. Uh, I've been a pastor at Covenant Presbyterian, uh, the grandparent church of this church. And so it's always a great joy to be here. Covenant planted Tab, and Tab has planted this church. Um, so it's great to be here bringing greetings from that church. Uh, three years ago, I stopped being a pastor there. That continues as our home church uh, but rolled over into a, a position at JMU, uh, James Madison, uh, to be the campus pastor for Reformed University Fellowship. I love working with college students, uh, and so that just seemed like a no brainer. It's been a great three years. Think of it this way I, I'm a part of the presbytery, this region of churches that this church is a part of. I am called by this presbytery as a missionary to that campus, as a missionary and as a pastor. And some of your kids are going to grow up and go to JMU. Don't you want to pastor there for them? Don't we want to care about the universities that are close by? There are 18,500 at JMU that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, and that breaks my heart. And I hope that breaks our collective hearts. There are 20,000 students overall. There's 25,000 in that area with Bridgewater, Eastern Mennonite, and Blue Ridge Community College. We ought to care about that. And I'm I'm inviting you into caring about that and praying for your Ruf pastor and your Ruf pastors in the state of Virginia. So would you please uh, pray for us? It's about to get crazy in a month um, when all those students descend on Harrisonburg. Um, so please pray for us. If you want to know specific ways, please come see me after this, and I'll get you on our our newsletter list. Every newsletter I'm putting in there are ways you can be praying. So specific ways to, and if you're interested in supporting that work or other RUF works, again, please come talk to me. Um, we are fully support-raised. We don't have some slush fund that we, we, we get our, our uh, finances from, so we need folks to join in and partner with us, so that's a bit of who I am. I have five kids and one wife, um, and I like it that way. Um, the five kids range in age from 23 down to 15. So we have three in college right now, and that's interesting. Um, so that's a bit of who I am. I, I like to every now and then kind of take a step back, and I think this is probably a healthy practice for us to do, um, take a step back and ask the question, just fundamental kind of questions. One might, might be, who am I? Kind of a, a question of identity. I know on the college campus, that is a huge question. One of who I am. Um, another is one of purpose. What is my purpose? What am I doing here? What's, what's my mission? And that second one is really the one I want to I press on us this morning... And really, I kind of want to just ask you that and let it sit for a little bit and have you answer that in your own mind, your own heart. But really, friend, why are you here? I'm not talking about here in this place this morning, I'm talking about on this planet. Why are you here? As I've kind of mulled that question, one of the things I've come to the conclusion, it would have been a whole lot easier for the Lord Jesus just to take me home after my conversion. You know what I mean? Like, think about that. No more struggling with sin. No cancer. Don't have to worry about death in my future. Or or the death of loved ones. Wouldn't, Wouldn't that just be a whole lot simpler and more pleasant? But the Lord hasn't done that, has He? Because we're still here. So let me press that question again. Why? If you go to the first chapter in Philippians, you see Paul kind of asking this question. And the conclusion he arrives at, it would be so much better if I were home with the Lord. But then he answers the question for him, but it's necessary for your sake that I remain on in the body. Do we have any kind of sense of it's necessary for your sake? Is that how we live life? Is that really what we believe? Is that how we live out the day-to-day? I'm here for your sake. God's kept me here to bless and be a blessing to you and to others and to the nations. I want us to live. I want to challenge us to live with that kind of purpose. Do you live with that kind that that sense of mission? Jesus is going to help us get our heads around what that mission should look like in our parable here in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you need one, right in the back on that table are some Bibles. Please, don't, don't be shy about walking back there and getting one. And if you need one because you don't own one, take that as our gift to you. There's just not a greater gift we could give to you. So please, help yourself to one of those. And if you would, please stand as we honor the Word of God reading together Luke chapter 15. Verses one through ten. Jesus is going to help us with a mission statement for our lives. The Word of God, the most important words you'll hear today. Luke fifteen one through ten. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." And so he told them this parable. than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with Me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Let's pray together. God, thank You that these words are true. And thank You that You've brought us into Your presence here this morning to come and hear the truth. Lord, we don't deserve that. Thank You that through the shed blood of Jesus, we can enter in. Thank You that because of Jesus in our adoption as sons and daughters into Christ, we can have ears to hear. We can have hearts and minds to believe that, that this is true. And this guides and shapes our lives. And so Lord, would You do these things for the glory of Your name. Thank You that You are so kind and gracious as to reveal Yourself to us in Your Word. As to reveal Your heart for how we're to live out life on this earth. And then, Lord, would You take and use this Word to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. That we might be true followers, true worshipers of Christ as we follow Him in this world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. The context that, that gave rise to this parable, you can see it there in verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus. They were flocking to Jesus, and the, the religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes, did not like it. They didn't like it one bit. They murmured and they grumbled that Jesus ate with the lowest of the low, the dregs of the earth. And so Jesus turns and He tells a parable. Jesus tells a parable for two reasons. One to conceal and the other to reveal. For those who are outside His covenant, for those who are not His, it's concealing. And that's offensive, isn't it, when we hear that? What kind of Savior conceals? And yet we know Jesus tells us one of the reasons He tells those parables is to conceal. That's a topic. That's a discussion for another day. But in this text, Jesus is revealing to those who are in the faith, those who have ears to hear, how we're to think about following Jesus. How we're to think about that mission statement that we kind of started asking about. What's your purpose here? And and this parable is going to to fill in some of those gaps or or give some, some contours to that picture. But let's start with the context. Why are we here? Again, it's because tax collectors, this hated bunch, they worked for the Roman authorities. They were part of the Jewish people hired by the Roman authorities to collect the taxes for Caesar. And as they did so, they would extort money from God's people to hold some back for themselves. So if the tax was X amount... For, for the citizen, they would add to it So that they got their payday Here, part of God's own people Stealing from their people How would you feel about that person? Not real good Along with that group were a bunch of sinners Prostitutes The sexually immoral Thieves those that had betrayed parents. All kinds of nature of sin. And these were the kind of people gathering around Jesus. And those who were religious, those who had a sense uh, of righteousness, maybe we could call it self-righteousness, were really having a hard time with this. Really? You call yourself a Messiah, Jesus? And these are the kind of people that you're welcoming? And yet, wasn't this the testimony of Jesus' entire life? Wasn't He the Savior, the Messiah that poured Himself out in mercy and compassion to the sinner? To the outcast? To the demon-possessed? To the sick? to the blind, to the lame, to the poor. Weren't those the kind of people Jesus was constantly moving toward? And on the flip side, didn't He, have, didn't he save His harshest rebukes for the religious, the self-righteous, the ones who had it all together? You see, Jesus is simply living out what He taught there in Matthew chapter 9. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Before we even get into this parable, friends, we've got to come to understand, we've got to come to grips with the fact that Jesus is a sinner's Savior. Jesus is a sinner's Savior. And praise God that that is true. Because not one of us in this room would know the Savior if He were not a sinner's Savior. Ephesians 2 describes our condition apart from Christ. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. You would not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You would not have abundant life. You would not have eternal life if it were not so that Jesus were the sinner's Savior. And so, even here in verses 1 and 2, there is good news for us, isn't there? We're the same kind of wretches being described here in verses 1 and 2. And Jesus welcomes us. But not only that, I think there's again some filling in to that original question. What is our mission? What is our purpose? If our Lord, our Savior, our Master cared for these, if our Master welcomed these in, shouldn't that say a little something about how we think about ministry? How we think about our purpose? How we think about our mission? Shouldn't we care? About the tax collector and the sinner that we interact with daily, I, I got back a few days ago from a, a short term mission trip a group from our church went down to mexico we 've had the opportunity to go several years and, and I can remember on our first trip I had con- I had gone solo this is before the group trips had started, and I was ministering with Uh, my my sister and her husband who were there full time and we were taking we had we had done several weeks in a row of just kind of get after it ministry it was tiring and so we were taking a weekend away to go to this beautiful spot where there's kind of this spring-fed river and we were going to float on the river have a nice picnic there but we had to do public transportation to get there And I can remember being on the bus, the way we were situated. My my sister and her husband were sitting in front of me, and I was kind of, you know, sitting there on my seat, hoping no one else would come sit next to me, because I kind of wanted to sprawl, like this was a vacation weekend. Don't look at me like this. You all do this on the airplane. You hope no one sits next to you, so you can spread out. So here I am, and as luck and fate and God would have it, Providence would have it, here I am sitting alone, enjoying my bus trip. About 20 minutes into the ride, there's a guy a few seats back from me that lights up a cigarette, and he is smoking like a chimney. And it's like, it is obnoxious. The the smoke is just filling the bus. And I could feel my temperature rising Like here I was looking forward to a nice peaceful day away. Lord, I've been serving you for three, four weeks without stop in this foreign land. And all I'm asking for is a day to relax, not be hassled. And like it's starting to choke me out at this point. And again, my anger is just rising. Have you ever read Jonah? Anybody read the book of Jonah? Okay, for those uh, so, sorry for those that haven't. This is actually a good read. It's only four chapters. Read it sometime. But there's a, there's a section in there where Jonah's been blessed by the shade of a plant that, that God provided. And then God sends a worm to eat up the plant. And Jonah's like, oh, God, I've been serving you. That's kind of what I was doing. And the thought hit me, well, this is fantastic. Here I am to serve the Lord to, tell the Lord, to tell people about the Lord's grace, about the Lord's mercy. And I'm so ticked off at this guy for lighting up a few rows back for me. I can't even look at him in love, let alone speak love to him. And God in his mercy pierced my heart. And I had to go, Lord. What am I, what am I doing? Am I going to pull a Jonah here? Like, you've given me the blessing and the privilege to be here, to tell people about Jesus. You've given me the blessing and the privilege of knowing you at all. Not, not to mention the fact that you're giving me a nice day away with my sister and her husband to relax. And I can't love this guy a few rows back. And God in his kindness moved me toward him and I sat next to him and we had a wonderful conversation. Some of it about the Lord. I'd love to sit here and tell you he came to be a convert and he's now speaking on the tour down. That that didn't happen. As far as I know, it didn't happen. But I knew God was doing a number in my heart. That I know. And I also know there are places in my heart that blind me. There are things that go on in my heart that blind me from moving toward those tax collectors and sinners that God puts around me. And I suspect the same is true for you. And and so where... Where are those places? What are those things in your heart that blind you? That keep you from loving and moving toward the tax collector and the sinner? You're already around them. Can I tell you that? You work with them, you live near them. Some of you might need to move out and do like order life, structure life differently. Because all you do is spend time with other Christians. But my guess is most of you, because of your work or your neighborhood, you don't have to work real hard. You just have to care, you just have to open your eyes. We've got to ask God to reveal these blind spots that keep us from seeing the reality. And God, give me your heart. That you're the sinner's Savior. So help me. Enable me. Empower me to be the sinner's friend. And in being that sinner's friend, to point them to you, Jesus. Jesus. Not looking down my nose at them like the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. But realizing how desperate we are, again, dead in our sins and trespasses, praise God that a Savior came to us sinners. Why would we not move toward fellow sinners and point them to the Savior? I think that's what these two verses... I think that's the question these two verses beg for us to ask. Will you follow our Savior and be the sinner's friend? Brothers and sisters, this is part of our mission as followers of Christ. If we're going to follow Christ, we have to care what He cares about. And our ministry needs to look a little bit like what His ministry looked like. Jesus then goes into the parable Again, Jesus revealing some of Himself to us and some of how we're to live. So He told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with Me, for I have found My sheep that was lost. Note in both of these parables, the lost coin and the lost sheep, really, it's just a repeat, isn't it? The lost coin after the lost sheep. And there are commonalities to each of them, and I want you to see at least two of those. In each of the examples, Jesus corresponds to the one who has lost something. And notice that the one who's lost something goes out until he finds what is lost. Jesus is a going Savior. Jesus is a going Savior. Again, praise God that He is. Because we were desperately and hopelessly lost. And we know from Philippians 2 that He emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus left heaven to go to earth for sinners like you and me. Jesus is a going Savior. And because Jesus is a going Savior, we're to be a going people. Listen to Paul's logic in Romans chapter 10. Some of you know this passage. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? In other words, those that don't know about Christ, those who have not heard the Gospel or have not believed the Gospel, listen to this. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Do you see that trajectory of going? And do you see Paul's logic? They won't come to believe if someone doesn't go and preach. Because how are they going to hear if someone won't go and preach? Continuing on with Romans 10, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach The good news. Why the feet? Because that's what goes. That's what gets us there. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now listen to this. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Oh, how I love that. The three years we've been doing RUF, can I, can I share a secret with you? I was terrified to do this. I was on a church staff for 18 years, and that felt good. That felt comfortable. I felt like I knew what I was doing. The moment I said, yeah, I'll do RUF, I thought I had lost my mind, and my wife looked at me and kind of thought the same thing. Joe, you're forty. Five or so, whatever I was at that point, 45 or 6 what are you doing? You're going to hang out with college students. They're going to think you're the old creepy guy walking around campus. And I really did have these moments like, what if this doesn't work? Like, what if I don't relate anymore? And you know what took the pressure off? This verse right here. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. They don't need me. They don't need some hip, cool dude in skinny jeans walking around. Camp. That, that's not really appropriate anyway. But they need the Word of Christ. Don't they? Because what do they need more than anything? Faith. And that's what your coworker needs. And that's what your neighborhood needs. That's what your children need. And how are they going to get it? by a going people. Going and being those beautiful feet that take the good news of the Gospel that Jesus came to save sinners. And I'm one of them. You're one of them. Again, there's no hierarchy here. I love the picture that we're going to see here at the Lord's table in just a few moments. The ground's really level here, isn't it? There's no... like. Status in the body of Christ. The ground's level before the cross. The only status is desperately in need of a Savior. That's it. And praise God that He sent one. But coming back to Paul's logic, how will they know unless we go and tell? How will they know unless they hear? And so again, a few questions. Questions. Is there any of this kind of going in your life? Let's do a Q&A for just a second. I'd be curious to hear what y'all would answer. What are the things that keep us from going? I know I'm asking for honesty and vulnerability here. We can do it. We're free in Christ. Dearly we're bought. Highly esteemed. We just sang that. What is it? Fear of rejection. Okay, number one. Ding! That's number one in my heart. Afraid of what people will say, what they'll think about me. I am a people pleaser. Which is really a me pleaser, by the way. But Again, we'll talk about that later. Why else don't we go? Okay, we're self-absorbed, busy. I'm too busy. Can't, my schedule won't, can't accommodate that. Uh, Afraid of how far you might ask me to go. Tell me what's in your mind's eye there. I think I know what you're saying, but... Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Things can get messy, right? People's lives are messy. The other part of that is, I'm kind of a mess too. And the more I open up to you, the more my heart's exposed. That's pretty scary. Why else don't we go? We don't, have a plan. don't have a plan. What if he or she asks this question? I don't know the answer to that. Or I don't even know what it looks like to share the gospel. I wouldn't even know how to articulate that. Can I address that one real quick? I love how Jesus, in Mark chapter 5, sometime look it up, he responds to a guy that he had just healed, go back to your town and tell them what I've done for you and the mercy I've had on you. That's all. That's all. I love that way of thinking about the gospel. Listen, just go back and, and tell them what I've done for you and tell them about the mercy I've had on you. We make it really complicated. That's not that complicated. And if they ask a question we don't know, you know what it's okay to say? I don't know. I don't know. But I'll look it up. I'll get you an answer. We can talk about that. Let's have coffee next week and we'll talk about that. Bottom line I think most of our reasons for not going is we don't believe. We don't believe God's going to show up. That God can care for my reputation, my approval. That that God will actually do something. Do we really believe the words of Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God will do something. He promises to do something, and it might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might be years from now. God's doing something with his word. He talks about it. There are other parables where the word's spoken of as a seed, and and the farmer puts it in the ground, and he doesn't see what it's doing subterranean, but God knows. God's doing something Bottom line is, whoever we're talking with, they have to put their head down on the pillow at night, just like you and I do. And they're wondering about some of the same things that you and I wonder about. And they struggle with cancer and death and disappointment and loss, just like you and I do. In Christianity, the Gospel, have the good news. We have the answer. Why would we not share that? It's also hard, isn't it? It takes time. It takes energy. I was with two brothers in this trip to Mexico. Two dear saints in the Lord. One is about 65, the other is 70. The 70-year-old's name is Maximo and the 65 is Eliezer. And these two guys, so we operate out of a home church, and this church is just going crazy to make the Gospel known in their mountain region. And so we break into these other teams and, and kind of support those mission works. And the one that's farthest out is like a two-hour walk one way from the home church, which is the town that these guys live in. Maximo and Eleazar walk two hours every Sunday to preach the Gospel. One way. And this is mountain terrain they're in sandals, and it rains every afternoon. That's really convicting for me. Because I sat there thinking, would, would a typical American or American family even get in a car and drive two hours to go to a worship service? I, I kind of think not. Not. And here are two guys that are so convinced that God will do something, God will show up, and these people need a gospel presence. They need a gospel witness. Who's going to get it to them? So we'll just walk. Why wouldn't we? That's really convicting for me. Do I really believe God's that powerful? Do I really believe Jesus is that good? And I want to put the same questions to you. Brothers and sisters, do you believe God's that powerful? That he'll actually do something? And yeah, you might not see it. But will you believe by faith that he will? And do you really believe that Jesus is that good? Second thing that's common to both of these parables, did you notice the response of uncontainable joy when what was lost was found? In each case, there was so much joy, they gathered their neighbors and said, Come, look, I found my sheep. Come, look, I found my coin. And they had a party. Isn't that great? If you're here this morning and you're in the faith, if you've come to know the Lord Jesus, if you've come to know salvation, heaven partied when your conversion happened. That's astonishing to me. That God and all His holy angels had a celebration when you bowed the knee to Jesus. That's astonishing for for at least this reason, think about it. How how does joy work? Joy happens when something that has hold of your heart succeeds or flourishes. Right? So on Sunday afternoons in the fall, when my beloved Washington Redskins win, which doesn't happen that often, there is joy that follows in my household. Because I have invested 48 years of caring in that team. I don't know why, but I have. And so there's joy. Or I think, so I helped coach a a, a soccer team and we were really struggling with our goalkeeper situation. And we have a 10th grader we've been trying to bring along and he was not good the first few games. But by about his fourth and fifth game, he was making unbelievable saves. And in our conference semifinal, he was berserk. And after the game, I went and just rushed over to him and gave him a big hug, and it was awkwardly long. Why? Because he succeeded. Because he was flourishing in what he was there to do. And I loved it. We had invested hours in this guy. And I loved seeing him succeed. Man, what does that say about God's heart? That he partied. That he and his angels had a celebration. When you who were lost were found. Not only does that joy reflect some of the Father's heart, but I think joy directs our hearts as well. In other words, we go after what we think will bring that flourishing. We go after what we think will bring rise to that success. Why? Because we want joy. Right? Don't you do that? Every decision you make, you go in the direction of what will bring you joy. So, As we think about this question, what is your purpose? What is your mission? What is it that will bring you joy? And do our hearts reflect the Father's heart for the lost of this world, for the tax collector and the sinner that you are around? And listen, if your heart isn't there right now, that's okay. Welcome to the club. But let's don't stay there. Let's ask for the Father's heart. Let's repent knowing that God is good to forgive us. That God can actually change us and transform us to the heart of Christ. God can do that. So let's start to ask for that. Let's don't be ashamed or afraid or say God can't do it. No, God most certainly can. If this is on His heart, if this is His heart, wouldn't He want to give it to His followers? And let's pray that that would become a consuming joy for us. And let's ask God that this joy would drive us to the tax collectors and sinners in our lives. Brothers and sisters, this is our mission. God has not left us here on this planet to retreat or to hide in a bunker. Now is the time to go, to be a going people for the joy of the lost and for our own joy. The quote there in your bulletin will sum all this up well and I'll end with it. You can follow along or just listen. The disciple is not, the one who follows Christ is not to withdraw into a cocoon inoculated from people of the world. Rather, part of the mission is to love people and to draw them to God. God searches for sinners who need to find their way to Him. Just as the shepherd left the 99 to find the one who is lost, among the tools he uses is the caring concern of a disciple. That's us. May God make us a people who are sold out to the mission of going to the lost sinners, of loving them, of proclaiming Christ to them, and rejoicing with them and all of heaven in their repentance and our own. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that it is Your heart to go to sinners. And thank You that it was that heart that caused You to send Your Son to be our Savior. God, so many things keep us from following that example, from following that pattern that You have set for us. Lord, forgive us. Through the blood of Jesus, would You wash away our unbelief, our sin, And give us hope. Give us joy. Give us faith in what You've called us to do and be. And then, Lord, set us about this mission that You've put before us to love our neighbor, to seek out the lost, to love the sinner and the tax collector with whom we have very much in common. That we're all in desperate need of a Savior. Send us to them. And Lord, do it soon.